Hey, welcome to True Life Church Online. It's great to be with you this morning, wherever you are. Uh, we're thankful to be able to gather in homes together. We're thankful that even though we can't all be in the same room, we, we thank God for technology that allows us to be able to uh, join together and all together sing together and, and listen to God's Word together. And we believe that God speaks to us. Um, if you think about it, a couple thousand years ago, what would often happen is that uh, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter would, Peter would write letters and they would send those to churches and they would read those. And even though Paul or Peter couldn't be there, the power was through God's Word. And we still have that today. Uh, we might not be able to be in the same room, but we have God's Word that speaks to us and speaks to our hearts, whether it's through a screen or uh, in person. And so we thank God for that, even though we look forward to the day when we can all be together. I, I want to say again to those of you that are new, welcome. We know it's a weird time to kind of check out churches, but we're thankful that you're here. And we really do want to help you be able to get connected and to meet people and um, and to be able to build faith and friendship with, with our church here. And so please take some time to do that. And we want to help in any, in any and every way that we can. I'm going to pray for us and we will jump into our time in the sermon today. So Father, thank you for each and every person listening. You know their heart. You know their circumstances. You know where they are. You know what's going on in their mind and their emotions. You know what they need to hear. And so we ask that you would open hearts and that you would speak your word, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, everything has stopped in a lot of ways. We look forward to when things restart. And I don't mean everything has stopped. If you're a nurse or a doctor or pastor. You're still doing things, obviously, uh, and many of you are working from home and school has intensified, but it does feel in some ways like things have just stopped, that we've experienced a stop in a lot of ways. And yet that gives us the opportunity to restart. If you think about restarting things, when you restart, and I think about video games or sometimes I think about New Year's, like New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions, when you think about restarting or maybe moving to a new city, you think about doing things differently. You don't just think about a restart as now I'm going to do everything the exact same. You, you want to learn from where you were and what you already experienced. And you want to do things different and you want to do things better. And that really is what we are hoping and praying that this time can be for us. This series that we're doing is called Restart to be able to think about what does it mean to restart? How does God want to give us a restart? That's really what we talked about last week. And what does it mean to restart in our faith and our friendship and our kind of purpose in life? And so we, we really do believe that God has the power to use this time where so much has stopped, not to um, just keep things the same. When, when we're done with all this and you come out of it, we don't want it to be that you just come out the same. I want you to be able to come out stronger, different, better. I want our church to be able to come out stronger, different, better. I, I want to be able to do that. Uh, that's what we believe that God can gift to us during this time. So wherever you are in your faith, let me ask you this question. What do you want to be different with God? What do you want to be different with God? What do you want your relationship with God to be in a different way? If you could restart it, what would you want it to be? I, I believe that we want to be close to God. We want to experience His closeness. And I don't know um, how you envision that being. Maybe it's from reading the Bible. You read about certain people and go, I want that. Maybe it's reading books. Maybe you have someone in your life. I know I have people in my life and I look at them and go, I, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of relationship 
with God. Maybe it's maybe it's a time in your life that you actually look back to and say, my faith was stronger then, or my relationship with God was different. It was better at that point. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're coming back to church after a long time. I know that's many of you, and, and you're kind of just checking things out. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're not even necessarily sure what you believe. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long, long time. E- either way, we can all see our faith be better, we can see it be stronger, and we can come out of this with a deeper, truer faith. And and that's what we want for you, and and I believe that's what we want for ourselves. So how can you restart your relationship with God, whatever it's like? Maybe it's not restarting, maybe it's starting for the first time, but how can you really restart the relationship with God? Jesus is going to give us two illustrations that we're going to look at that really speak to this. And it helps us to see where we are. It helps us to see where God wants us to be and then how to get there. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. It's the very end of a sermon that Jesus gives that we have looked at different sections in this sermon already, a very famous sermon. And you can go back and listen to previous sermons on that if you you want to. But this is the end of Jesus' sermon. And he gives us two illustrations that really conclude everything, to be able to point forward in our relationship with God. And, and that's what I believe that God wants for you today. Listen, even, even right now as you're listening, I don't think that God just wants this Sunday morning to be, um, you know, I don't know, just an hour that you kind of do and then is, is over. I think he really wants to speak to us. And I think he really wants to help us get to a better place in our faith and in our relationship with him. So let's take a look at these things and we can begin to understand what it looks like to restart our relationship with God. So the first question that we want to ask is, how do we know where we are? How do we know where we are? It's hard to move forward in restarting your relationship with God or growing in your relationship with God or making it deeper, closer, better. It's hard to move forward if you don't know where you are. When you think about your phone and Uh, the GPS, it gives you that little blue dot that says, here is where you are. And it's hard to get to the restaurant you're trying to go to, or the hike you're trying to go to, or a friend's house that you haven't been to before that you're trying to go to, whatever it is. It's hard to get there if you don't know where you are. And so the GPS, the little blue dot says, here is where you are. I know that I get lost easy and I need that blue dot. That blue dot is a little blue God to me in some ways. And I need it to help me say, here is where you are. And that is part of what Jesus gives to us today. He's going to give us two illustrations that really are a GPS that help us know where we are in our relationship with God. Because if you think about it, how do you know? How do you know right now where you are in your relationship with God? We can say we love God and we trust God and We know if you're a Christian, you have faith, but how do you know where it is? How do you know if you love God enough? How do you know if you trust God enough? Or if you think about maybe behaviors, how how do you know, am I spending enough time in the things that God would want me to spend time in? Am I I spending enough money in the things that I should be spending money in? A lot of things aren't clear, cut, and dry. And we need kind of some help to assess and evaluate, where am I? Because it can be difficult to know. Here's the two ways. First, Jesus says this. A good tree, this is Luke 6, 43. You can pull it up on the the Bible section or your Bible. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. This is the first evaluative tool that Jesus gives to us. The first kind of GPS to say, where am I? If you want to move forward, you want to restart, first you have to know, where am I? And Jesus says, here's how you know. What is your life producing? He says, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You do not know what's underneath until you see what comes out. The way that you know what's inside is what comes outside. The external always, always reveals the internal. That is what Jesus is telling us. How do you know if a tree is good or bad? You have to look at the fruit. A lot of times you can't tell. The tree's growing, no fruit yet. You wait till spring, and then you see all this kind of rotten fruit, or it's not very big, or it's not the right taste, it's not the right size, and you say, this must be a, a bad tree. You don't know, though. It takes time, and Jesus says, the way you know, the way you know what kind of person you are, what kind of heart you have, what kind of faith you have, what kind of character you have, what kind of relationship with God you have is what your life is producing. That's how Jesus says we can know where we are. And you think about bad fruit. You think about bad fruit when Jesus says a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. What is bad fruit? And it's really two things. One way to think about it is that it's sin. You can't say, I'm a really good person, I just do a lot of bad things. You can't say that. It comes, we always live out of our heart. Jesus uses words as a great example of that when he says that from uh, our mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. That when we speak things, that came from our heart. Sometimes we say th something to someone and we go, oh, I didn't mean that. And that's not really true. What would be more accurate is to say, oh, I didn't want you to know that I meant that. We say things because it comes out of our heart. That's true with positive things and negative things. From a positive side, if you love something, you tell people about it. You love your kids, you tell them about it. You have good news, you got a new job, you tell people about it. You like a movie that's coming out, you tell people about it. The, the heart cannot be contained is another way to think about it. It always is overflowing. We have gushing hearts. Most of our life is overflow. Most of our life is not carefully thought out. Here is all the things I'm going to say today. That, that's not most of our life. Most of our life is overflow. It's spilling out of our heart for good and for bad. You don't like things, you complain about them. You don't like someone, you gossip about them. You, our hearts overflow. Jesus is saying that you want to know what kind of person you are, what kind of heart you are, what kind of faith you have. Look at what it is producing. Is it producing bad fruit, which can be sin? That's our words can be sin. In the immediate context here, Jesus has talked about these things. Let me just kind of review them. He talks about not judging people. So are you harsh and critical? That's a bad fruit. Do you complain about people? Is it really easy for you to see the faults in other people and the faults in other things. The Bible calls that being judgmental or when it's when it's about people, when it's about other things, it can be called grumbling, which is a severe sin. 
Are you seeing that bad fruit in your life or not loving your enemies? Or the, the kind of subheading here in this sermon of Jesus is woe to the self-satisfied. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are now full. We talked about this a while ago. That is your heart set on money? Is your heart set on self-satisfaction? Is your heart set on comfort? Is your heart set on people speaking well of you? Is your heart set on entertainment? Jesus says these are bad fruits. But you can't just say, well, you know, if I was in a different situation or if I was around different kinds of people, if I was in a different city, then things would be good. No, Jesus says that's the overflow. Jesus says it's actually a great evaluative tool to see where your heart is, who you are, what kind of faith you have right now. So when you think about bad fruit, think about sin, but also just think about the negative effects in your life. Sometimes we maybe don't know uh, if we're spending too much time or thinking about things too much or if we care too much what people think or sometimes we maybe don't know what the idols, the things in our life that we have is most important instead of God. Sometimes we don't know them. One of the ways to know is, are you sinning? But another way to know is just the negative results, the bad fruitness of your life. When you think about, am I, you know, do I love money too much? Well, are you stressed about it? How are you? Is, is your relationship with money lead to a, a peace or to an anxiety? Do you care too much what people think about you? How do you know? Well, are you thinking about it? Do you have sleepless nights? Are you making choices that you know you shouldn't make? Are you, are you doing, are, are you um, emotionally kind of down when you don't get included and you're, and you're just kind of feeling negative effects? So you can think about bad fruit as sin, but you can also think about it as the negative effects, thoughts that you don't want to have, emotions that you don't want to have, frustration in your life. Is your life, are you just, do you feel frustrated? Do you feel down? Do you feel, here's one, do you feel bored? Many people just feel bored. They don't have a lot of passion. They just kind of feel apathetic. They feel complacent. They feel discontent. And we may say, well, if I was a, if I kind of did some different things, or if I was in a different place, or Jesus says that negative fruit that you don't like comes from inside. What is outside comes from inside. Our lives are always overflow. The second thing that he gives to us is this. That, so that's the first one is, is look at the, the fruit in your life, what you are producing. How do you know where your faith is? Second example he gives to us is the next verse down in verse 46. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. So first, you look at the fruit, but second is you look at the foundation, which comes out from trials. So you look at what your life is producing, and you look at trials. These help you to know where your faith is. And it's a really interesting example that Jesus gives, because he gives us kind of two different people, two different lives that are happening, and they both look very similar. If you think about it, both have a desire to build a house. Both work hard to build a house. 
both build a house that from, from all we see in the story, they, they look the same. Externally, the house looks the same. And both face trials. Both get a raging, crashing river. Jesus uses that phrase, crashing river. He uses that twice. So both have a desire, both work hard, both look like it has a, a good house, and both get trials and suffering, which is important because sometimes we might think, man, why do uh, good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And Jesus is saying trials are going to come to everybody. The river is going to crash against everybody's house. It doesn't, if, if you're experiencing trials right now, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong. If you're experiencing suffering right now in your life, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong. We're all going to get rivers crashing against our lives. Yes, sometimes the rivers crashing have been the result of our own sin or foolishness. But Jesus is saying both people are going to get rivers crashing against them. And you don't know oftentimes what's there until a trial comes. Just like fruit, it takes time. It takes time to see, is it going to be good fruit or bad fruit? It takes rivers crashing to see, what kind of house is this? What rivers are crashing against you right now? What pain? What suffering? What's hard that you're experiencing? Maybe it is money problems. Maybe it's work problems. You don't have work or you're looking for work. You don't like your work or you have bad coworkers or boss. Maybe it's relationships, friendships. Maybe you've experienced loss with friendships. You moved to a, Maybe you moved to Denver and you were going to make friends and this was going to be a new start and now you can't hang out with anybody. Maybe you're experiencing loneliness. Maybe it's health. Maybe you're experiencing sickness and rivers feel like they're crashing. Maybe it's infertility, miscarriage, having desires and longings for something and not being able to see them fulfilled. Maybe it is uh, past hurt and sin that's been done against you, that crashed against your life and you still feel the effects. Maybe it's grief and loss, someone you love, someone that was close with you. There's all sorts of rivers that crash against our life. And listen, I don't, I don't want to minimize that at all. If you think about this picture and you're in a house and a river is crashing against you, a flood is coming against you, that's not... That's not a, a delightful image, I guess. It's, it's a scary thought to think, man, I'm here in this place and a river is crashing against my house. Like it, it's a fearful thing. And, and God sees that. He sees the pain. He sees the hurt. He sees the river, the sin of other people, the suffering in your life. And it's something that we can look at, though, and see, where am I? Where is my faith? Both people had the same desire, same work, the house looked the same. They both faced trials, but one house stood and one house was destroyed. And maybe you look at your life right now and it's and destroyed doesn't mean that they die. When you think about what is this story supposed to be teaching you? How do I know if I'm being destroyed? Well, you got to look at the negative effects again. Say, I lost something. Am I sad or am I despairing? I lost something. Am I, am I feeling the pain of that and bringing that to God? Or have I now just kind of closed down, become self-centered? Am I experiencing anger in my life? 
Has life gotten worse now that trials came? Listen, just because trials come doesn't mean life has to get worse. But if life has gotten worse for you, emotionally, in your mind, in your heart, spiritually, relationally, that's revealing that maybe the house wasn't built on a strong foundation because it couldn't withstand the crashing that came against it. So what, what is it when you look at your life right now and you see the trials? Is there, is there anger that is coming out in a bad way? Is there, is there depression and, and is your, have you pulled away from God? And is there despair? Are things getting worse when the trials come? Are you running and escaping to alcohol and drugs and entertainment and food? And do the trials crush you? Do they destroy? Is the devastation great that you are experiencing? Trials don't have to do that. How do we know where we are? Jesus gives us two things. What is your life producing? And what happens when trials come? And with both of these, here's what it says. The unseen takes time to show. The unseen, what's inside, what's the foundation, what's what kind of tree, what kind of character, what kind of faith, that takes time to show. You don't know right away. It takes time. And it's a gift to be able to see it. It's a deep gift that God actually wants to give you. Sometimes it, when you see that rotten fruit or you see that a wall has come crashing down that's frustrating and you go, oh man, I guess there's bad fruit or I guess, but it's actually a gift to be able to know there's rotten parts of our lives. It's a gift to, I mean, let that wall get washed away. Let that part of your house get destroyed. Sometimes the house has to get destroyed to be rebuilt the right way. Sometimes the floods and the raging waters have to come in order for us to see what was weak and what was built in a foolish and folly way. Sometimes that's what it takes. It's a great gift that he gives to us. So this is the first question. You want to grow in your faith? You want to restart? You have to know where you are. But secondly, you have to know where he wants to take you. You have to know where is it that God wants to take me. It's not just self-assessment. These, these passages, these stories also show God's desire for us, what he wants to give to us. Listen, with my kids, I have a desire for them. I have a destination in mind of what I want for them. I, I don't just say, well, whatever happens in your life is what happens. We'll just kind of We'll just kind of see. I have a desire for them. I want them to grow in certain ways and learn certain things and have certain kinds of character and, and develop in ways physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I have a plan for them and hopes and desires for them. If you're a parent, you have that for your children as well. And, and, and you may have it for... If you're a teacher, you probably have it for the students and you're in the medical profession. You have it for your patients. You have a desire of where you want them to be. God has that for us. It's not aimless. God doesn't just say, hey, come on in. You're saved. You're in my family. Now, nah, let's just see what happens. I don't really care. That's not how God feels. God has a heart for us, a desire of what he wants for us to experience. And we look at these two illustrations that Jesus gives. And we see what it is. And, and the first is that he wants us to be fruitful. And I love that image, maybe because I love fruit. I've always kind of said that fruit is God's dessert or God's candy that he gave to us, that God is the inventor of dessert. I love that. That when God created the garden, he said, you know what I want to put there? Fruit. Like we could just have carrots. No, God made those too. 
But obviously, vegetables are made for nourishment, and fruit is made for delight. Uh, maybe you, you know, I love a good salad too, just as much as you know the next person. But fruit is delicious. Okay, fruit is delicious, and I guess the point of that is this: sometimes the Bible uses that language so often for what God wants to do in our lives. I think because it's saying that what God wants to do in our lives is good. Like sometimes we think about following Jesus or obeying or or letting God kind of take control of our lives, and we think about it in a bad way. We think that, okay, God wants to take something from me. He wants more of my time. He wants more of my money. He wants sacrifice. He wants obligation. He wants duty. And, and there's some truth in that, but really what God wants is not something from you. God wants something for you. He wants you to be fruitful. Later in the Bible, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, and he says that it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I listed all of them. And if you think about that, don't you want those in your life? Like, who doesn't want to have more joy? That's the fruit God wants to give to you. Who doesn't want to have more self-control in their lives? Who doesn't want more peace in their life? More kindness. Who doesn't want to have more patience and gentleness in their relationships? God is saying, Jesus is saying here, you know what I want for you? I want you to have fruit. I want you to have more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I mean, think about your life. Where is it that you want to change right now? When you want a closer relationship with God, you want you know, your faith to get better and improve. What is it that you want to change? You want to be more peaceful? When it comes to money or work, you want to be more patient with your kids. You want to be more kind to people that are rude to you. You want to have more self-control around things. Jesus is saying, that's what I want to give to you. But the other thing about fruit, I love this part of the image, is that fruit, you don't just see a fruit tree and go, wow, that's delicious that that tree has that. It's supposed to be given to others. It's a blessing to others. Fruit it means that it is something given to others. You take fruit and say, wow, this is a good thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. It's a good thing and it blesses people. Fruit is used to make pies. Fruit is used to make jelly-filled donuts. Fruit is used to make fruit compotes and sauces and cobblers and and I'm getting hungry. Fruit is used to, to make all of that kind of stuff. It's a blessing. Listen, God wants you to have love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff, but not just for you. God wants you to be a fruit tree planted in your city, planted in your community, planted in your family, planted in your marriage, planted in your church, blessing others with the fruit that he has created in you. That is what God desires for you, what God desires for us. And don't you want that? I don't know anyone that says, yeah, I just want my life to just be about me. We want to be a blessing to other people. This is where God is wanting to take us, okay? So think about our relationship with God. You have to go, where is it that we are? And where is he trying to move us? God wants you to become fruitful, to have all of this and for it to be a blessing to people. And then secondly, God wants to give you a strong foundation. I, mean, I love that. Listen, I wish... I could make a lot of money if I could promise this. I, I, I wish that you had no suffering in your life. But I can't tell you that that's going to happen. In fact, I can tell you the opposite. You are going to have suffering. You are going to experience it. We're experiencing that on a global level, but it's not going to go away. This isn't it. You're going to experience suffering in your life. 
I can't take that away. God doesn't promise that it will go away. But here's what I can tell you is possible. Here's what God wants for you. To be able to endure it. To be able to thrive even in the middle of it. To be able to not have it crush you and destroy you. Raging rivers, floods will come to you. But Jesus wants to give you a strong foundation. He wants to give you a strong foundation. One that when the winds blow, when the rains come, when the rivers crash, when suffering and pain and sin from others comes into your life, you're still standing. Like Elton John says, you're still standing. That's what Jesus wants for you. Listen, my kids built a fort this week and it's great. They slept in there a couple nights and it's made of blankets and chairs and pillows and, and all sorts of stuff, but it doesn't have a foundation. It doesn't have a foundation, which means if a flood came, it would be knocked over. Some of you have experienced flooding in your lives, in, in your basements, or I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced flood in other ways. Um, when I was a kid, we had our backyard flood and it ruined a bunch of stuff, but uh, floods destroy things. And if a flood came, my kid's little fort would be gone. It would be over. If a flood came against my house, not a giant, not a tidal wave, but just a, a flood came against my house would still stand because it's got a foundation. And Jesus says that what matters, your, your little fort, you, maybe your life is just a little fort made, made of, a fort made of blankets. What if your life is just a fort made of blankets? The suffering that comes is going to destroy it. And God wants to give us a strong foundation. He wants your marriage to have a strong foundation. He wants your hopes and your emotions to have a strong foundation. He wants your family to have a strong, he wants your faith to have a strong foundation that lasts. Don't you want that? You all, you, we, we all will suffer, but we also can have a strong foundation. That's what he wants to give to us. Maybe right now you're seeing that. And what I mean is maybe there's waves crashing against and there's disappointment and there's loss and, and there's things that have happened and you've actually said, doing good. And I actually feel, I feel like I'm doing good. How, and, and you should ask yourself, why is that? And maybe you have thought, wow, where would I be without God? I know I've thought that in my life at different points. Where would, how could I face this without God? And what you should do is thank him. Say, God, I don't feel like everything's being destroyed. And go, thank you, God, for the foundation that you've given me. That's what God wants for each of us to have. Stuff is going to come at us. It's going to keep coming. This isn't, this isn't it in life. But what he wants to give us, language Jesus uses, he wants to give us a well-built life, a strong foundation. Listen, this is God's vision for you. You have to know where you are, but you also have to know what God desires for you. A fruitful life, a strong foundation. This is his vision. This is the kind of faith that you can get in a restart is to go, okay, that's what he wants for me. That's what he wants me to experience. That's where he is taking me. That's what he wants. Okay, but here's the last thing. How do we get there? When you have a map, you have to know where you are, little blue dot. You have to know the destination. And then you have to know the directions. You have to know actually how to get there. You have to have a plan. Let me give you three things. First is this. I won't say much about this because we really already talked about it, but it's part of Jesus' point in these stories is that we have to examine where we are. You've got to be able to examine where am I? What does need to change? Where, where is there bad fruit? Where is there weak foundation? Where is that? You've got to know where you are. Look at the fruit. Look at the foundation. Okay, that's the first thing and one of the main points of what Jesus is trying to communicate here is you've got to examine your life. 
Okay? So even after this sermon, take some time and, and do that. Go, where is stuff blown away? Where is there rotten fruit? Second, I'll spend some time on this. Second is what Jesus says is that we have to obey. You want to get to where God wants for you. You want, you want a life when the raging waters come against you, you're still standing. You want a life that's producing fruit. If that's what you want, Jesus says that it comes from obedience. Often, we feel lack in our life. We feel problems in our life. We feel desire for more. We feel discontent. And a lot of times for Christians, our instinct is to say, I need to learn more. I need to know more. I need to listen to more sermons. I need to read more books. I need to do some more studying. I need need to learn more. That's oftentimes what we think. We need more knowing. But here's what Jesus says in the story about the two houses. Both represent someone that comes to him. Both represent someone that hear from him. Both represent someone that calls him Lord, Lord, which would be a term of honor and affection. Both do that. There are Christians that come to church, that listen to sermons, that read the Bible, that know who God is, that call him Lord, Lord. They all do that. Jesus says, you know what makes the difference? What makes the difference is not how much someone knows, how much they've come, how much they've said Lord, Lord. What makes the difference is obedience. He says, let me tell you what a man is like who acts on his words. Let me tell you what that one is like, the one that acts on what I have said. See, obedience, obedience is what builds a strong foundation. Jesus says, maybe you're feeling that you want more in life. Maybe you're feeling discontent. Maybe you're feeling bored. Maybe you feel like there's something more. Maybe you're feeling that your life isn't as stable as you want. Maybe you you don't have the fruit, the change, the growth, the faith that you want. What if the answer is not knowing more, but it's actually obeying? Listen, this is, this is very different from how we often think because I've heard Christians many, many times say something like this. I want to go deeper. That's language we use. And the language we use when we are saying that, what we're trying to say is, I want to know more. I want to learn more. Jesus takes that same language He says that the person that obeys is the one that dug deep. Jesus says, I want your faith to go deeper. But deeper doesn't mean knowing more. Deeper means obeying Jesus. It's acting on the things that you know. That is what Jesus says that we need. Listen, hearing is easy. Right now, if you just think about even right now, right? You're hearing. You're listening. You're going to spend 40 minutes hearing. You're going to spend 40 minutes listening. But what if we spent 40 minutes now saying, how do I obey this? How do I do this? How do I take what Jesus has said and go live this? You can hear a sermon on loving your enemies. doesn't mean that you actually do the things that Jesus said. To pray for those who persecute you. To do good to them. doesn't mean that you actually do them. You can hear a sermon on, um, we, we talked before about generosity. You can hear a sermon on that. Hearing doesn't change us. Jesus says, the one that has a strong foundation is the one that hears and acts. This is filled in the Bible. James talks about it, of that hearing is just like looking in a mirror and we see clearly and, and we even think, wow, I, I've grown because I've heard. 
Jesus says many people come to him. Many people hear him. Many people call him Lord, Lord. But what builds a strong foundation, truly going deep, means doing. It means obeying what he says. Listen, my kids hear me all the time. They hear me. There's, there's things that I will want them to do that they don't know yet. There's things they don't know yet. Yes, that's true. But they know a lot of what I say. That's not normally the problem. The problem is obeying. And that's most of our problem. We have heard many things. You know much about God if you're a Christian. You know many things. You've listened to many sermons. You've read many books. You want to go deeper? You want more in your life? You want your faith to go to the next level? You want to restart? Listen, for so many of us, our faith going beyond where it is now is not going to be a new book. It's going to be listening to what Jesus has said and obeying him. It's going to actually be doing the work, which is hard. I mean, in, in the story, the, there's they're both there and they're both building the house, but one digs deep and lays a foundation on the rock. That means obedience takes more work. It's a lot easier to just listen. And if you want to move beyond where you are, it's going to take the work of figuring out what it means to obey in your life, which a lot of times our default is actually disobedience because we're not even thinking about it. We just hear and go through our life. God wants you to take the work. Jesus wants you to do the work of figuring out what it means to obey. That starts with the desire to obey instead of just, oh yeah. It starts with then moving to discerning. What does it mean to obey in this situation? And really discovering what Jesus says, what the Bible says. At using the resources to discover what God says that he's given to you, pastors and leaders and community, and then actually doing it. That is the process of obedience. And listen, let me say this too. To obey Jesus or to act on what he says isn't only the kind of moral ethical things. You might think that, okay, what it means to obey Jesus is to love my enemies and to be generous and to tell people about Jesus. All of that is true. But it's also the, I don't even really like this language, but the, the spiritual side of things, which means to come to Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to thank Jesus, to worship Jesus, to love Jesus, to enjoy Jesus. It means both of those things. So when you think about acting on the words that Jesus has said, it doesn't only mean obeying the commands to live different. It also means the commands to worship different, to drink from him, to have him be first and most important in your life. It means all that he has said to act on those things, not just know those things. When, this is what we do, a strong foundation is built. When we live a life that is continually coming to Jesus, hearing from him, and obeying him, that's what makes the difference. And we build a life that when the raging rivers come, we stand and we have good fruit. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is just that how we get to where he wants for us is that we center on him. What I mean by that is this. We can't just change our behavior. We can't just say, okay, I want good fruit now, so I'll be a more joyful person. I'll be a more patient person. I'm going to do good things now. You can't just change the behavior. The point of both of these stories is that something underneath has to change. That in the story of the tree, something has to change. What we are connected to as the source of life 
has to change. In the story of the houses, it's not just he needed better building materials, it's that he had to be connected to something, a foundation. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the source of life for us as a tree. Why is it that a good tree produces good fruit? What makes a good tree? Why is it that, um, why is it that a, a house that's connected to that foundation stands? Because it tells us something about the foundation. It tells us something about what the tree is connected to. See, the reason that a life obeying Jesus stands is because what he speaks is good and true because he is good and true. What it means that, a, that our life connected to him as a tree will produce good fruit is because he is good. See, our hearts at the very center need to be connected to him. Our lives at the very center need him as the foundation, he as the source of life, because he is good, because he is wise, because he is strong, because he is God. When we come to him, good comes out of us. When we come to him, strength comes out of us. That is what Jesus says. And that really, you can call that centering on him. You can call that worship. You can call that repentance, turning from other things and turning to him. But this is what he says that we need. You want to get, you want to, you want to get to where Jesus wants for you? You have to know where you are. You have to know the vision of life that he has. And you have to do the things that he has said to obey him, to examine our lives, and to center on him. To be connected to him as our very source of life. To be connected to him as our foundation. We want a better faith, a deeper faith, a fruitful life, a strong foundation. He wants to give that to us. He wants to give it to you. This is how he does it. Let this be a restart in our relationship with God. Work through those stages and let your relationship with God restart so that it's stronger, better, deeper than it's ever been. We're going to take communion. And when we take communion, what we are remembering really is the language that Jesus uses here. The language of being a tree, we're connected to him. The language of being a house, connected to him as a foundation means that we can be united to Jesus. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken. That's what the bread represents. And his blood was shed. That's what the wine, juice, whatever you're using, that's what that represents. And that it was through Jesus' death that we can be united to him. That our sins are forgiven and that through his resurrection we are given a new life. We can be united to him. That's such a beautiful thing. You can be united deeper intimately connected to a God that loves you, a God that saves you, and a God that has deep desires for your life of what he wants for you to experience. When we take communion, we ingest it. It goes inside of us. And I love that. We don't just look at it. We don't just read it. We don't just stare at it. We put it inside of us because God wants to be united by his spirit to us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have given us life. You are the good soil, the good, the good nourishment that our lives as trees can be connected to. You are the good foundation that our lives can be, or the good rock that our lives can be built on as a foundation. You are, Lord, the one that leads us to better and more, to experience everything you have for us. We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that as we take communion, that you would lead people to confess where they need to confess, Lead people to ask for help where they need help. 
lead people to thanksgiving where they need to thank you and see your goodness. You are a good God. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.